Welcome to Season 2 of Positivity Strategist. This season is called Appreciative Voice and Choice, in which we talk about seven literacies for living and leading in this century. I'm Robin Stratton Burkessel. And I'm Sally Lee. We're co-hosts of Season 2. This season is called Appreciative Voice and Choice, Literacies for Living and Leading in This Century. And for 10 shows, that's what we'll be talking about. Hello there, Sally. I'm so excited to continue our conversation today. And welcome back, listeners. Thank you again for joining us. And if you're actually tuning in for the first time, we wish you also a very warm welcome. Hi, Robin. Today, for our topic of appreciative voice and choice, seven literacies for living and leading today, we are moving from the literacy of reframing reality to that of kindling kindness. Yes, and last time, Sally, when we were talking about reframing reality, um, we talked about different ways of shifting our frames and our perceptions. And so today's literacy of kindling kindness can be said to start with a type of reframing, where in fact, reframing to step into somebody else's shoes. So where we take their perspective so we can feel with them and perhaps develop more empathy and compassion for who they are and how they are. Yes, that's a great start into our theme for today. From the perspective of appreciative voice, kindling kindness is the compassionate voice. It encourages our natural human capacity for good and empathy. It helps us offer our best to others and see the best in them. Kindling kindness is about extending ourselves toward others. And it's just as important to be literate in kindness as it is to be literate in reading. Maybe it's more important. Neil deGrasse Tyson, the astrophysicist and director of Hayden Planetarium, said it beautifully, and I quote, imagine how different the world would be if, in fact, it were reading, writing, arithmetic, empathy. I love that quote. And you know what? What is it about astrophysicists? Whenever I see them on TV, like Nova or somewhere, and particularly Neil deGrasse Tyson, but I think I could say it for all of them, they're always so happy and so smiling and so excited about what they do. I kind of want some of that. (laughs) I do too. And I think maybe part of that is that they're always looking at the biggest possible picture Mm. of possibility. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm glad you brought him up. So, you know, in preparation for this call, Sally, I, I looked up the definition of kindness. I was very dutiful. And um, the dictionary tells us, or the dictionary that I was looking at, tells us that kindness is focusing on the quality of being friendly, generous and considerate, warm-hearted and affectionate. Wonderful terms. I want more of those in my daily life. And we're going to include a few more deeply beautiful, important concepts in our discussion of kindling kindness. It's also about extending compassion, gratitude, and mercy, life-giving positive emotions and qualities that together encompass a Tibetan Buddhist term, bodhicitta, which means infinite altruism. Let that roll over you, infinite altruism. Mm, Yeah, that's a beautiful Buddhist term. And explains to us when we go into it how it's linked to compassion that is our ability to feel the pain that we share with others 
So when we speak about kindling kindness as a literacy for living and leading, we're really talking about this whole spectrum of emotion, thought and behaviour. This literacy stretches across the range of empathy, kindness and compassion all the way to altruism, softening the heart and being open to and face what we're uncomfortable with. We can choose to practice that. So much of the best of human behaviour is contained in these ideas. And I think many people, and sometimes that includes me, think that maybe this is something we're still aspiring to, something we hope to see across human civilizations. But when we scan our globe, we have to ask ourselves the question, are we humans really capable of kindness and compassion in any consistent way that we can count on? Doesn't self-interest get in the way? In fact, I think the mainstream Western view until recently has been that human nature is based on self-interest and even selfishness. We need to overcome these tendencies to achieve compassionate action. You're right, Robin, and it's something that um, you know occurs to me and that I think about a lot. It's an assumption that's been fairly easy to agree with as we look around our human world, that we're not capable of grand compassion on a, on a broader scale. But what if we hold a different assumption, one that's being upheld by scientists and universities and research institutes around the world now? They're saying and showing that in our behaviors, humans are just as prone to goodness and kindness as we are to defensiveness and aggression, the kinds of things that get us on the nightly news. So in other words, perhaps we're not as bad as we've been taught to believe we are. That's right. That's a good way of saying it, Robin. When looking at the spectrum of human history, researchers have realized that our species' survival has depended on cooperation, which takes a certain level of empathy and compassion. So this take on human nature rejects the idea that self-interest is always dominant. That's a big deal. We have a huge capacity for good, as history has shown us. So it seems that we're both self-interested and compassionate. Human nature brings with it apparently a capacity for good and compassion, as well as for violence and other destructive emotions and behaviors. Right. It's a big thing to get our arms around. Yeah. So a big question then is, so can we do it? Can we aspire to a literacy of kindling kindness, of compassionate voice for ourselves and for our world? And how does that impact the choices we make? And what's the relationship to appreciative voice? I think those are crucial questions that you're bringing up. And we're going to watch them unfold a little bit in this podcast. Research psychologist Daka Keltner from the University of California at Berkeley has focused on the manifestations of compassion that show up physically and neurophysiologically. He thinks that our innate compassion enabled early humans to come together in communities and develop cooperative skills as hunter-gatherers, and that ensured their survival. And we still need those social skills as we continue to evolve. So true. In related research, primatologist Franz Deval has found that all human beings share a common foundation of biologically based compassion that extends to those close to us. Biologically based compassion, mm. not behaviorally developed, but biological. Wow. Now, this is interesting. Yeah. He believes 
we can extend compassion to larger groups, expand the circle. But this second level of compassion only arises if we can develop a sense of endearment toward others. I like that word endearment. Mm. If that sense of endearment can be cultivated and extended, kindness, affection, empathy, generosity, mercy, towards larger sections of humanity and other species, then we'll be living in a different world. Mm. Sally, that um, sense of endearment implies to me about being very open-hearted. It does, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And to think of others as your as your significant relatives, mm. that they are dear to us. Mm. There's a great book called The Compassionate Instinct. It has multiple authors that proposes that goodness, compassion, kindness, And basically the ability to play well with others is a core feature of primate evolution, a core feature. (laughs) So I'm going to stick with that for a while for this conversation. (laughs) And I'll join you. So this is fascinating research and it's just growing and growing. So why don't we take an opportunity now to bring it down to a more personal level? Let's look at kindness in a kind of daily way in our own worlds. And we know that there are so many stories about kindness of strangers and people going out of their way for others. You know, you only have to think about the recent story of the boys, the soccer book players um, in Thailand who were trapped in a cave. People came from all around the world to help, let alone, you know, the local people. So it was an incredible effort and it was a magnificent outcome. Um, they're the things that kind of lighten us up and make us really feel that humanity is on the right track. That's right. (laughs) So why don't we get a little bit personal, Sally, and I'd like to ask you a question. I wonder if if, um, you could tell me about a time when someone was truly kind to you without any specific reason to be, you know, just natural human kindness doing its thing. Let's see. You know, Robin, I feel like I've been a really lucky person. I feel like there are lots of examples of kindness extended to me. But particularly in in this story that occurs to me right now, when my mother, some of you have heard about the fact that my mother has had dementia and had to be um, put in a facility that specialized in people with dementia, that the day that we went and that I, w- I was taking her there. It was very frightening for her and for me. It was a big change in life. And when we got there, I just felt lost and a little at sea. And out of nowhere came this incredible family who had also just brought their mother there. And they kind of adopted us right away. And they invited us to eat with them in the dining hall and to, you know, check where their room was next to where my mother's room was, all of these things. And it went on for the entire time my mother was in that facility. They sustained that level of kindness toward us. They treated us like family. Mm. And Mm. it made such a huge difference. Mm. Yeah, that's very lovely. Gave you some peace of mind as well. Definitely. Mm. So how did you feel about that? kindness how was it to how was it for you Sally to receive such kindness yeah I think you've hit on something important to ask what it feels like to receive to be on the receiving uh, end kindness and compassion extended to me feels like 
I don't know, soup on a cold day or a warm blanket, like food and shelter, really. It's just as nurturing. In fact, I would have to say that when I think of times when kindness was extended to me, it feels essential. Mm. Yeah. And it happens so naturally, really. It, it does. And yet it's memorable so much mm. of the time. Mm. So, Robin, then let me turn the tables a little and shift the question. How about telling me about a time when you were kind to someone you didn't know well or maybe didn't know at all? You know, I, I don't think we remember those times as well as when we've been the recipients of kindness. But maybe you can think of an example. Or maybe you saw a great act, act of kindness play out in front of you. Hmm. Yeah, I agree with you, Sally, that often when, you know, you are the performer or the giver of kindness that you don't make a big deal of it and you don't think about it, so you forget. So it's really nice to be invited to remember. And Mm. uh, one that comes to mind is um, a story that actually happened on Valentine's Day uh, a couple of years ago and I was in a supermarket And the man in front of me was checking out and he was short of a few pennies, not very much, and he couldn't couldn't pay his bill um, and nothing was happening. So I just just offered him the money that he needed and it wasn't a big deal for me and he was very grateful and said thank you and, and, you know, left. And then when I was actually putting my groceries in the back of the car... Um, And because it was dark, it was February, right, Valentine's Day, and it was late in the evening, um, this person came up to me, this man came up to me and handed me a bunch of red tulips. And I was just stunned. And he said, I just want to thank you, ma'am, for your kindness. And And he disappeared and I couldn't find him in the dark. And then as I was looking around still... What I saw was this this van drive past and it had flowers, some kind of flower branding on the side of the truck. And it occurred to me that this man was delivering flowers for Valentine's Day and he chose to take a bunch and give them to me in appreciation for my kindness. What a nice story of daily, what makes daily life (laughs) lovely. You know, it can make Mm. daily life just lovely. Well, what do you think motivated you to extend yourself like that in the moment? Well, I mean, you could say that my story is about a few cents and a bunch of tulips and two strangers, like, feeling connected. And it was a special day, like Valentine's Day. I think the symbol of that made it more memorable and special for me. I don't know. But anyway, um, so what motivated me? Um, It just seemed the right thing to do. You know, it was spontaneous. I didn't even think about it. It was something I could do. And if I think, you know, more deeply about it and go a little bit meta to it, I could say it was about those micro moments of connection that come out of an act of kindness. And that left me pondering, in fact, who performed the actual kind deed because it was so reciprocated. And, you know, I came to think, Sally, that, in um, you know, it was actually both of us. We both performed an act of kindness because I think what we see is that one act of kindness often begets, to go biblical, often begets another act of kindness. And in our very brief encounter, me with the flower delivery man, we co-created meaning that to this day warms my heart, you know, like your soup, (laughs) warms my heart every time I think about it or I see red tulips. 
You know, I'm going to think about that, your story, every time I see red tulips from now on. <laughs> yes, I love red tulips. I love tulips, yeah. Um, so, you know, what this points to, Sally, is that there are many, many, many kinds and levels of kindness. And this takes us to our literacy of kindling kindness every day. And so here are some thoughts uh, I'd like to share uh, that came up for me. So I guess the big question is how do we do it and increase our literacy for it, for kindling kindness? Great question. Another thought I had was what causes us to extend ourselves and connect, you know, from I to we, where we make that appreciative choice to reach out and acknowledge our innate connections. And the third idea or thought question that came up was, how do we spark kindness in ourselves and in others, especially when we feel that those others might be so very different from ourselves? I think that question is one that we're all on a fairly high learning curve about mm. right now. Mm. But if compassion and kindness are natural to the human brain, then maybe we can encourage it to fuller use. Perhaps it really comes from the innate awareness of, I see the divine in you. I am because you are. The sacred spiritual sense of oneness and interconnectedness. It can be fleeting or it can become a life's practice, depending on our worldview and personal or cultural traditions. Mm. We're, we're different, but we, if research is correct, we all have this common core of compassion and connection. Mm. And yes, Sally, I think, you know, cultural traditions are important to acknowledge because we have different language which manifests itself in different ways you know, values perhaps are universal, but, you know, they show up differently in different cultures. And I think we need to be sensitive to that. And so when we think about appreciative voice, sensitivity to different cultural t traditions becomes very important and really has us think about, you know, how do we show up with kindness to others? Great point. So maybe I can continue and just suggest that maybe showing kindness and experiencing compassion is really about that current of connection that runs beneath everything. We all naturally know when we feel compassion, you know, that breath of non-judgmental energy that reaches us or reaches out from us in solidarity with someone and with all that is in the moment uh, you know, we feel our interdependence and it's easy to reach out and bridge differences. We've all been there. Anywhere from perceiving a need in someone and filling it, and even if, if that's a simple hello or a smile, to sending healing and love and to holding the hand of someone in camaraderie. So back to the question, how do we get there? What encourages us in cultivating compassion? and kindness in the moment when it counts. For me, in the moment, where the opportunity for appreciative voice and choice lies, it lies in the moment. If I can get myself to pause kind of in mid-flight of my life and notice what's going on around me, there's a lot of power in that pause. Put my attention on others, whether that be a person in front of me or a dog limping across the street. 
notice them and let myself see them in that pause. We have to be able to turn from looking only toward ourselves to looking out. That in itself is a type of reflection. And so much can happen out of that tiny shift, that tiny reframe as we talked about in our last episode. To perceive the other and to feel our connection. This happens and can happen hundreds of times a day. To look out. What and whom do you see there? That alone can move us to kindness and compassion. That breath of kindness in the moment, it can be incandescent. That's so beautifully expressed, Sally. Thank you. So, you know, how do we sustain that? Um, Another way is perhaps to consciously open our flow of kindness and compassion with small, quick meditations that we can do anywhere. We can do them at home or in an elevator. And one of them is the loving-kindness meditation. Acclaimed meditation teacher Susan Salzburg wrote the book on this subject. Uh, The loving-kindness meditation, which I say daily and first for myself and then I can say it for others and stretch it out across the world. It's a very beautiful meditation and touches all the vulnerable parts of our lives, our need for safety and happiness, for health and for ease. And I'd be very happy just to say it now to include all our listeners. That would be wonderful if you would. I think it would uh, be great for us to experience just what that looks and feels like. Thank you. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So um, if you're driving or you're working out or you're in the garden or whatever um, and it's not safe to do so, please just listen in and maybe you'd like to try this when it is safe to do so. However, if if you can get comfortably seated with both feet on the floor and with your head up high and opening up your chest so that you can really breathe and you feel your heart... If it's comfortable to do so, just shut your eyes gently and take a deep breath. And I'm just going to just say the classic short form. And so this is it. This is the loving kindness meditation. May you feel safe. May you feel happy. May you feel healthy. And may you live with ease. That's so, that's so lovely, Robin. Just mm. that short piece. I, I felt a shift immediately. Lovely. It really does foster a gentleness, you know, and a kindness. And it does open our hearts, which is the intention, so that we can be compassionate to ourselves and to others. Now, such moments, I mean, my view, Sally, is that such moments of reflection and meditation enhance our capacity and our awareness for appreciation, gratitude and kindness. And during these time outs, we can pause the urge to automatically respond to situations and instead thoughtfully consider our decisions about how to act. So we go from reaction to compassion. Mm. And not necessarily agreement or approval even, but just listening and suspending judgment and sometimes even forgiving. That's kindling kindness. You know, it reminds me of something. A few years ago, I was at a mind-body conference hosted by the Dalai Lama and another, a number of researchers in the field of mind-body connection. 
They reported outcomes showing that we can cultivate compassion in ways that build healthier bodies and relationships, that build our willingness to help others, our courage and fearlessness, something I'd always think I need more of. Mm -hmm. Their experiments agree with your experience that even a very short, simple, loving kindness meditation practice builds compassion for others. Yes, Sally, that's great. I think some of the research shows that this loving-kindness meditation worked even among foster children who'd come from situations where they'd experienced some form of abuse and loss. Something that simple, quick meditations, those pauses and time out, they shifted their ability to interact with the world with more trust and compassion for others. It's related to building those neural networks which have impact on our vagal tone And that helps us recover more quickly from fear and fright. And we're going to learn more about that in our next episode, Powering the Positive. To build on what you were just saying, um, as a result of the conference that I just mentioned on mind-body connection, I took a cognitively based compassion training intensive sponsored by the Emory University Tibet Partnership in Atlanta. The course is the outcome of many years of research, centuries really. And it was a powerful experience that has uh, has stayed with me. In moving from the idea of pausing to simple loving kindness meditations, one of the principal learnings that I took from this workshop was the work we did with self-compassion using five-minute meditations that tuned in where we tuned in to our dissatisfactions and the reasons for them and paid attention to the fact that others were no different from ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all seek to be happy, mm-hmm. free of suffering. The key to the all-important focus on self-compassion is the commitment to change our habits of perception of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because the, the, the training really was teaching us that if we can't offer ourselves compassion, then we can't fully offer it to others. From the beginnings of self-compassion comes the possibility to extend that out to others, attuning to our sense of tenderness, which is kind of a word Mm. like endearment, don't Mm. you think? Um, That tenderness toward a few individuals and extending it out to greater gratitude for all others, to feeling a strong urge to assist others. So I found that really important and something that I try to use, which is to stay in touch with being kind and compassionate toward myself. Mm. Yeah, that's really important and it's worth thinking about for a long time and cultivating Mm -hmm. that practice because without an appreciative inner voice for ourselves, we can't really have it for others. You know, it's about, you know, love thyself first, be kind to oneself first So I actually have a little story that might illustrate this, Sally. Great. Um, I'd love to hear it. I was on a board of a networking group and the president of this board um, had a a reputation as being a tough woman. You know, we thought she was a little bit like a bully at times. And one evening um, I received an email from her saying that she didn't like the way that I had disrespected her and spoken about her in the most recent meeting. Well, I was pretty shocked because I don't have any recollection of saying anything negative or detrimental, but that was her 
her view, her perception. So instead of reaching out immediately and responding, because I wouldn't have done that well at all, I chose to take a pause and I reflected on my strengths, my character strengths. Part of them are forgiveness, humility and gratitude. So I thought that I would put those into practice. And so in taking pause, I, I showed, I think, some self-compassion. I didn't attack myself and I didn't reach out and attack her. So I waited till the next day. I sent her an email. I actually used my strengths. I apologised to her. I said it was totally inappropriate. If I'd said something, I wasn't aware of it and I'm very sorry. And is there anything she wanted me to do to make the situation better? Well, to my surprise, the phone rang and it was her and she said, look, no problems. I really appreciate the note. Everything's fine. It's fine. No worries. And that was it. It's interesting, Robin. I think that your reflection and your self-compassion triggered a positive response in her. So rather than more reaction, it mm. smooths things over. That's right. It can generate that kind of response in the other, I think. Yeah. So that's an example of kindling kindness to oneself, self-compassion, and that brings out the goodness in others. Just another note of a practice we used in that same compassion course that might resonate. It was a meditation designed for us to get in touch with our inner dependence in the world. Uh, it asked us to envision a trip to the supermarket and to consider all the people who were involved in providing the food for us, farmers, packagers, employees, truckers, buyers, even uh, legislators mm. and government employees who create and maintain the standards for safe food, mm. the scientists working on saving heirloom seeds and making sure that our food supply remains safe. The list can go on and on. The point was for us to see how much we depend on one another and how connected we are. It was incredibly moving and surprising to me. Mm. Yes, coming up with those insights and learning about those things is really, really important because it does speak to recognising our interdependence and interconnectedness and being mindful that we are not alone, that we each need each other for survival, you know, from the food we eat through the relationships that we have. We depend on others and all our contributions matter. We can find ways to do that in all sorts of situations where it would help us to open up and kindle our flow of compassion in the moment. For example, in our workplaces, valuing the contributions of everyone where collaboration, co-creation matter and we begin to see mutuality of purpose, kindness is more likely to be witnessed and practised. I think that's really true. And I, I want to bring up one more example as we have talked about what kindles kindness and we've talked about pausing, breathing, meditating, visualizing. I want to point towards some work on compassion and connection, kindling kindness, being done on a grand scale. Wow, okay. Ever mm -hmm. since she began her work on the power of intention and fields of connection, science writer Lynn McTaggart, who wrote the intention experiment, she wrote the field, the bond. Many of you have probably read her books. She's been interested in the power of group intention, that concentrating effect of a group magnifying their thoughts by focusing on the same intention. 
twice in the spring of 2014, I got the opportunity to participate with thousands of other volunteers in one of her large-scale experiments. This one was focused on helping somebody who had extreme anxiety caused by PTSD. So that April, the first person we worked on was an American military veteran whose story we heard via video We were then asked to set the intention of reducing his anxiety by about 25% and to focus on increasing his alpha waves the same amount. Now, he was hooked up to brain monitors at the time, and we could see him on a split screen. So there was a sense of immediacy and connection. I was at home looking at my computer screen. I wasn't with a big group of people. McTaggart's intention methodology. Let me say that again. McTaggart, I don't want to do an injustice to her name. Her methodology specifies a a process called powering up, where a group prepares to send their intention by spending time centering, meditating, and becoming as present as possible to the work at hand. After that, we would have a 10-minute intention period together. So we powered up And then there was going to be this 10-minute stretch where all we did was send intention. I have to tell you, Robin, that that experience stunned me. Mm. As soon as Lynn indicated that we had entered the intention period, I felt flooded with energy, Mm. uh, flooded with goodwill and compassion from all the participants. Mm. Healing energy and loving kindness poured into me and from me to the veteran, our subject, Within literally a few seconds, I felt that I was exactly the same as he, and I felt my heart fly open with the sense of not just his suffering, but all the suffering of our world and all the goodness. It was overwhelming, but also enlivening. Mm. It was, I have to call it extreme connection. Mm. I knew I was in the presence of of a fire hose of flowing compassion. That's what it felt like, like the fire hose had been opened. It was so intense that at times, you know, I really thought my body would resolve, but nothing about it was unpleasant. You know, it wasn't frightening. Mm -hmm. It was in fact glorious. Mm -hmm. I felt connected to all there is, to the oneness of all. I felt limitless. Mm -hmm. It's not a bad result in an hour (laughs) on a Saturday afternoon at home in front of my computer. (laughs) No, almost what a privilege, Sally, you know, to be part of such a collective experience. How about the others? Well, in the follow-up, you know, because we kept in touch with each other and Lynn does amazing follow-ups, other volunteers echoed my exact experience and many reported over the next weeks, and here's the kicker, Robin, that illnesses they had been dealing with were healing. Hmm. We heard that the veteran uh, continued to improve But so did so many others from these thousands um, who participated. And you know, that has continued. She's done study after study and experiment after experiment and has discovered um, uh, some research findings that are the subject of her subsequent book, The Power of Eight, about the potential of group intention and compassion that when we give we also receive in quantum ways. That when we send out compassion and kindness, that it comes back to us. It's pretty amazing. Mm. Well, I think, again, how fortunate you are to have participated in such an experience. 
And you tell it beautifully, Sally. It's clear that you were moved at the time and you still are. These experiences show us the human capacity for true deep connection and the power of kindness and compassion and the vast field of inquiry into how we continue to evolve our consciousness. So once again, we can see that the literacy we're focusing on today is a path to mastery. Simple practices, transformative opportunities for our appreciative voice. Sally, in every episode so far, we started the habit of inviting our listeners to consider where they see themselves on a continuum for each literacy. Let's do the same thing this time with Kindling Kindness. So we invite you to go to our show notes page and that's at appreciativevoice.com and place yourself somewhere along the continuum. Think about it. How agile, you might ask yourself, am I extending kindness and compassion in the moment? In stepping into someone else's shoes long enough to feel with them and for them. And then place yourself on that continuum, on that line, from one to ten. One, if you feel that you've still got a long way to go and you're still learning a lot. And ten, if you feel that kindling kindness is a strength of yours and that you are doing it really to your satisfaction and you are just living life so beautifully. We'd love to hear what you're thinking. And you know, uh, Robin, that makes me think uh, about the question we discussed earlier, a time when someone was very kind to you or you saw compassion, empathy, altruism being extended around you. We love to hear stories from you about that as well and its impact on you. So let's hear from you. You can do that in a number of ways, starting with the show notes page. I heard from a fan uh, recently that she actually doesn't listen to the show, but just reads the show notes because she prefers to read <laughs> and finds the resources of value. Love that. Well, do. So, yeah. <laughs> so when you're on the show notes page, you can leave a comment as you would on a blog or record your message with our SpeakPipe app. So if you want to leave a story for us, about your experiences with kindling kindness, just go to appreciativevoice.com. Next time on Appreciative Voice and Choice, we'll focus on the literacy of powering the positive, the strength-based and affirming voice. So important and probably familiar to most of you. Mm -hmm. Yep. And um, by way of wrapping up, if you find value in this show, please go over to iTunes or any of the other um, apps that you listen to this um, show with and give us a rating and review. We'd really, really appreciate that because it helps the show to be more easily found and then more people will find out appreciative voice and appreciative inquiry too. So when you're speaking into that microphone of life, it's good to be able to do it with compassion for all life, with a mind toward contribution and connection. The only way our world is reshaped is by what we focus on, what we think and what we say. Appreciative voice is compassionate and grateful. It's deeply kind, not always sweet, but part of a loving life force. Mm -hmm. What words, intentions and emotions are you filling the world with? Wow, such a beautiful question. So... We recognize that building the intention for compassion and kindness really does matter. And we can do this. We can get good at this. We can lift up our appreciative voice and we can make different choices to connect more deeply with others in the world, those who are like us and those who may be different from us. 
So mm. in summary, it's all voices matter. It's That's great, yes. Yeah. So Sally, I want to say this has been good again. And um, like finally, I'll just remind everyone that it's your choice to find and express your appreciative voice. Thanks so much for today, Robin. All right, Sally. Till next time. Bye. Bye.